Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Ben Crosby. Ben is a student at Yale Divinity School in the ordination process in the Episcopal Church. You can follow him on Twitter at at Benjamin D. Crosby. I give you Ben Crosby. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. It's great to be here. You're coming live from Yale Divinity School, the Hallowed Halls. That's it. That's it. Yep. I'm a uh, first year there in the MDiv program, and I'm a postulant for the priesthood in the Episcopal Diocese of Massachusetts. The Episcopal Church has such great terminology. I love the term. (laughs) And you're like one of the few Episcopalians out there I just know from your Twitter feed that you're like a connoisseur of Protestant theology, which is not totally fashionable these days. There is some truth to that, yes, but uh, no, I love it. (laughs) It's interesting. Paul Zoll wrote this book called The Protestant Face of Anglicanism, kind of arguing that there's this deep Protestant heart at the thing, Reformation roots, but that's sort of almost like buried, buried alive. (laughs) No, I think, I think that's certainly true. I mean, the, the evangelicals in the Episcopal Church left in the 19th century, mostly, most of them. Yeah, and so it's it also changes the haberdashery, right? Everybody dresses a lot more Roman Catholic. It's true. It's true. Although whenever you see, you know, usually if you'll ever see anybody do an even song, even the the most Anglo-Catholic of places, suddenly the the tippets and the preaching tabs will come out. That's fantastic. Well, let's look at our lectionary texts, which which many Anglicans, Protestants, and Anglo-Catholic alike will be <laughs> reading from, as well many other souls in Christendom will read them and listen to them. First, we've got Job 38, 1 through 7. Um, and there's an optional reading, too, uh, bracketed there, verses 34 through 41, if people want to add um, that. But basically, this is this is... You know, the Lord answers Job, right? You know, who, who is mm-hmm. this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins. I'm going to question you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? It's, it's almost like there's almost a tone of like sarcasm here, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And here, here you have, you know, like it's funny because presumably the Lord could just like give, I mean, Job's sort of looking, why? Why is all this unfold? He, he could just go back to chapters one and two. Right. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's so true. But he chooses not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting, you know, he puts, it's an, it's an interesting thing. It's like sort of that, what is that commercial phrase? Was it Nike? Why ask why? <laughs> I mean, it's almost sort of a, why, why are you asking why here? Right. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. And I, what I'm struck by almost more than the fact that this is this is the Lord's response, right, is that Job finds it satisfying. We don't yeah, get that I, here. It comes next week, of course, but... Yeah, right. Like, this is it. Most people would not find this, like, tour through the dark side of Mother Nature appealing. Right. You know, I, I think, too, about this verse that bu- bugs me is that it leaves out, doesn't it? It leaves out the Leviathan, I think. Yeah, and Behemoth. We don't get either behemoth. of those. Because isn't that? Don't a lot of scholars think that's like the is like the crocodile? 
Yes. Yeah, the crocodile and the hippopotamus, I believe, are the like most common hypotheses. Like evolutionarily, if I was non-human, I think I'd want to be a crocodile. So, well, I don't know, maybe a dog because if you get, to, you get to love, there's a lot of love for dogs. But the crocodile, it's like not evolved. Mm, like mm-hmm. since prehistoric times, like its design is so good that nothing has come that it had to switch the design <laughs> for that. You know what I mean? Like yep. it hasn't had to change. It gets a functional design. <laughs> you know, you don't have to change anything of the design over evolution. Like it peaked early. So, yeah, I mean, here we have we have this sense that, you know, Job, yeah, is kind of strangely comforted by this. And and, you know, that there's it's interesting because. We ha- there's a, a commentator I was looking at, who, uh, Roland Murphy, who says he's talking about Robert Frost's The Mask of Reason, right? Hmm. And he says in his poem about Job, The Mask of Reason, Robert Frost skirts this non-solution by a humorous reference to God showing off to the devil. But Frost recognizes that the point of Job lies elsewhere when he has the Lord acknowledge to Job that Job set him free to be God. Before that, he had to reward good and punish evil, but Job changed all that and set God free to reign. Job's sufferings, it was essential that they be without meaning in order to have meaning, that Job could not be able to understand them. Frost's rather free interpretation of the book has a lot to recommend to it, in particular suits the mood of chapter 38. (laughs) that's, That's interesting that, you know, I don't know how far a preacher would want to go with that, but there is something that we often, in sort of a post Enlightenment world, right, you had this sort of if you believe in God, you just equate God with morality, mm-hmm. right? And God is the big moral lawgiver, lawkeeper in the sky, which is actually a kind of reduction of the majesty and mystery of God, right? Because yep. it kind of makes God inferior to morality. Like there's something that stands above us and God. Mm. And here it's almost like God is saying to Job, there's a bigger picture in in, in, in mind that the drama of creation and redemption is... is is bigger than what you're seeing, which is kind of hard to hear, but right. but also evokes some God that at the same time, strangely, is like more worthy of worship. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it reminds me a little. So Bart talks about, he's got a long um, exegesis of, of, of the book of jo- whole book of Job in Church Dogmatics 4, I think it is, um, and ends up talking a lot about this passage as, again, sort of creation as, as sort of showing the freedom of the electing and covenanting God, that, that the God with whom Job is in relationship isn't a God that is bound by anything, certainly not by Job, but is, is indeed free. Yeah. And it's even the pictures of creation here are, are a lot less like Genesis and more like other places in the Psalms where, where there's, it's giving the sense of God being really, uh, there, there's something about the chaos that is not anti-God, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. something that like creation's goodness lies not in its, perfection from our perspective right but it's perfectibility Mm. it's something that it's the theater for the drama right the theater for god's glory yeah i like that so let's move on here to the book of hebrews here we've got hebrews 5 verses 1 through 10 where we have jesus cast as the high priest after the order of melchizedek which is great the like it, it the author of, of hebrews whoever it is pulls in melchizedek which you know isn't a very prominent figure 
in 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 most of biblical theology. Like they're not, they're not okay. Yeah, and of course, you know uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know David, oh, and Melchizedek, you know mm-hmm. big key player. I mean, he's someone that sort of pops on the scene right to with Abraham after this victory over this group of kind of chieftains that kings chieftain type kings that take lot captive and after he has this great military victory he Melchizedek spreads before Abraham bread and wine and and one of the greatest things uh, lacks lack of theological imagination I've ever seen in the NIV study bible I remember the note said this spreading out of the bread and the wine have nothing to do with the New Testament ordinance of communion. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, how could you? <laughs> wow, that person had a, has a deficient imagination, literary imagination. But that's interesting. That I think. Do you think that this is now? You're kind of coming from a tradition that still uses the word priest. Mm-hmm. Although, th- what what is Protestant about Anglicanism, even Anglo Catholics, is they don't have the sort of view of the priesthood that Catholics or Orthodox do. Right, like at least functionally, right? The priest isn't set aside. Even if they play at that, at, 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 the, at the liturgy, it's not th- this sort of indelible character the way it is, you know, in, in Catholic or Orthodox tradition. So I wonder, as people who, modern people, even modern Christians who don't have, the priesthood is not as much a part of our imagination as it is in the ancient world. You know, how do you, it, it seems that this is a metaphor or, or, or this, you know, this, Connecting Jesus to priesthood is sort of, it makes a lot of sense in its original context. Might not make as much sense. Or it's like C.S. Lewis says, when you're reading an ancient text, it's not the words that you don't know that's the problem. Because what's a good student do? They look them up. Mm -hmm. It's the words you think you know. Mm. And so, you know, when people hear priest, they're probably not thinking along the lines of what the author to Hebrews is thinking. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I think that's, that's right. Where this is so, I mean, it's a deep part of Israel's tradition, but it's also part of lots of ancient Mediterranean religiosity, where you have this media, mediators between the, the divine and the human realms, right? And mm-hmm. and you, you want the God's favor, and so you have these sort of professional class of people that, that are about, you know, that sort of work. <laughs> right, right. Offering these propitiatory sacrifices and, and so on. It's interesting here too, right? Because they're like any analogy, right? Um, what does Irenaeus say? That God is light, but unlike any other light we've ever known, that there's always dissimilarity on the side of the analogy. So the author spells out the dissimilarity where a priest, because he's from the people, has to make sacrifice for his own sins as mm-hmm. well as the sins of the people, right? He 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 stands in for the people, but he it's like that old hair club for men commercial where this guy used to say, "I'm not only uh, the president of the hair club for men, I'm also a client." And you see a picture where he used to be bald. Like, <laughs> you know, this is every priest, every high priest is not just you know a, a, the president of the liturgical assembly, but also a client. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So we have we have Jesus here as the the priest ending priesthood in a sort of way, right? Offering the sacrifice that is ending sacrifices. Yeah, once for all. This sort of mm-hmm. brings an end. I mean, this is where, you know, Robert Capon says that the, the church is not in the religion business. Mm-hmm. It's in the announcement of free forgiveness business, which is something altogether different. Like, in some sense, the, the, the purpose of priesthood is to keep its existence in perpetuity. <laughs> right, 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 right. 
It's like it's one of those uh, recession-proof jobs, right? Like <laughs> like, like, uh, like uh, owning a bar or a prostitution, right? And priesthood, right? Mm-hmm, like these things mm-hmm. are. There's always going to be a you know the need for this for some sort of appeasement of the gods, or for in Israel's in Israel's case that it's a little different, right? Because contrary to what people think, it's not a bloodthirsty god. It's God that actually makes provision for their own re- healing and reconciliation. Right. But even even that gives way, right, to the mm-hmm. priesthood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Although I certainly think there is there's a way, right, in which, I mean, certainly in the, the book of Hebrews, we talk about Christ continuing priesthood and our participation in it, right, sort of offering prayers for all, you know, for, for, for the whole world, you know, as a sort of a Christian vocation. Right. And, and it is participation in his priesthood. Yes. Right. It's kind of. Absolutely. And, and also he stands before us like it, there's this old story. I think of Jay Gresham Machen from, you know, the guy who started Westminster Seminary at his deathbed. He sent a telegram to, to John Murray or Vint. I forget, it was one of these old sort of deans of conservative reform mm. theology. He mm-hmm. sends this, and the telegram was active obedience of Christ can't live without it. And this idea mm. that that you know we'll see in the gospel reading the passive obedience the son being given up to passate to suffer mm-hmm. but then there's the he doesn't just die the death of the sinner vicariously he lives the life the sinner should have lived and should live before god he he's he's the faithful israel right mm-hmm. he's the he's the second adam he's the one that says no in the desert to everything adam and eve said yes to in the garden you know so th- there's this sense in which he he our participation as priesthood is our participation in the humanity we're meant to be. That's right. That's right. Uh, there's a really lovely, the, the general instruction at the beginning of the liturgy of the, of, of the hours, a Roman Catholic daily prayer, sort of has this really lovely line, right, about how how Jesus, right, sort of ascended in heaven is con- is constantly offering intercession for us to the Father, and that then we, as as God's priestly people, are are called into that work, and that this prayer is our is our participation in that work, which I think is is yeah quite beautiful. There's a little book called uh, uh, "Worship in the Triune God of Grace," I think, by James Torrance. It's it's fin- mm. it's like 120 pages, but he one of the things he talks about in the beginning is these different forms of worship. One, he thinks there's a liberal model, which is which is sort of just He's looking at Karnak and other people, which is just where like all these ancient figures trying to connect with God. Um, and then he said that there's the existential model, which is a little more Christological, where Christ did his thing. And, and we're not just in the same position. He did his thing. Now we do this worship thing because of what he did. We're not just if there's. But then he's like, that's not even fully. He calls it that's legal religion, not mm. gospel. religion. He says that it's not it's 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 not what did Jesus do? It's what is he doing? And so when, when we worship, we gather into the dance of the father, son, and spirit, like mm-hmm. through the spirit, we're taken up into the communion of the son and the father. So it's not just like, Oh, what Christ did makes this possible. What Christ is doing, like it, Absolutely. there's this sharing in the life of God mm-hmm. by God's grace through the spirit, which kind of takes a whole, adds a whole different new meaning to that lift up your hearts we lift them up to the lord like we we lift up to this ongoing drama and dance between in in the in the life of god that's kelvin's exegesis of that phrase right he i think that's one of his favorite parts of the eucharistic liturgy he loves that lift up our hearts yeah yeah because we're lifted up yep by the spirit mm-hmm. so yeah that's an interesting you know it's a, it's and you know it's interesting to this melchizedek thing which i take it right the author saying well look i mean this priesthood is so out there and so different. It's 
it's not even going back to Aaron, right? It's, right. Uh, yeah, right. it's Melchizedek. That's the <laughs> ticket. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Jesus is like this guy. You don't know where he came from, and he's you know like, and so it's also sort of a way that like well. Uh, you know, Abraham had Aaron in his loins, right? So, like, the, you know, the, but this guy had blessed Abraham. So, yep. like, that's the biggest, like, you know, I, I see your your ironic priesthood and I raise you a Melchizedek. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's interesting, right? Because the I think of, like, that, that NIV commentary and I think, like, what does Jesus, our Melchizedek, do? It, it's just like Abraham. Abraham, although he's had a victory... He's still eating the bread and the wine in a land promised to him, but not yet possessed. Mm. So he has to eat by faith and not by sight. And likewise, we do in the time between the times, right? Every Eucharist, we, we're those who wait for the redemption of our bodies, that we're, we're eating the hors d'oeuvres of, of the victory. We're eating the victory feast before the victory. That's really good. Yeah, foretaste of the feast. Absolutely. When my Savior reached down for me when he reached down his hand for me I was lost and undone without God or his son when he reached down his hand for me and speaking of Jesus, our great Melchizedek, let's go on to the gospel here. I feel like I do that transition every week. Speaking of, they used to say, I, they they used to say that the, the old liberal Protestant preaching style, like the, the the sort of early 20th century style, was you know you mainline preacher, you get up, you quote the New Yorker, you quote a philosopher, you you know you'd quote you know a poet, and then you could conclude the sermon with, and perhaps Jesus said it best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably some truth to that. The old, old servants. <laughs> when here we have Mark 10 verses 35 through 45, where the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, sometimes called, come to Jesus and say, hey, look, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Uh, and I love, I love it. Jesus like, is not like, idiot. <laughs> it's like, oh, so, okay, what would that be? <laughs> When you when you you know when you come into your glory, you know we're just saying put us at the right and left hand, mm-hmm. right? With left and right side, you know everybody else can have a spot, but that's the spot we want. And to which Jesus adds this another chapter, which we could call adventures and missing the point, right? Right, and that all this happens immediately after another one of these. Mm, you know, Jesus prophecies of his, his coming, suffering and death, right? That's the, that's the lead up to this. Here they are saying, well, actually, when you come to glory, here's what we want. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so, it's so great. Like this is, it's funny because it, like, let's say the disciples had been taking notes, right? Up to mm-hmm. this point in like chapter eight, you know, through this passage here in chapter 10, like they should have in their notebook. All right. You know, what it means to be a disciple, you know, a leader in this kingdom is, well, first of all, you got to deny yourself for Jesus and the sake of the gospel and risk accepting worldly shame. You know, that's it. Like you'd see that in chapter eight, verses 34 through 38, uh, that you're to be focused on Jesus and his words above everything else. You'd see that in like nine, seven, remain humbly dependent on God's power to do God's work. You know, that's chapter nine, verses mm-hmm. 14 through 29. Don't play competitive games, one umsmanship, glory grasping, you know, choose the least role and be the servant of all. You know, that is also in chapter nine. Yeah, in chapter ten, you know, relinquish control. 
for who does what and how they do it. This is kind of the lesson they're now they're getting out in the kingdom. In other words, you know, give up the need to be God's quality control experts. Mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and keep children at the center of the work. It's that in chapter nine, in chapter ten, and don't become o- overburdened by possessions, but receive the gift of hundredfold promise. Again, in chapter ten, it's like okay, here's the notes. We've ignored them all. <laughs> it's amazing. This is also, I, I said this in a sermon a couple weeks ago. I said, you know, this is also what I, I think a testimony to the historical reliability of the Gospels. Mm. If you were doing ideology, you'd make yourself look better. Absolutely. Like disciples look like complete idiots. <laughs> they really do. And, you know, it's funny that one of the things that I heard someone uh, preaching at Princeton Seminary once, a board member, and the person was t- t- was one of these kind of stories in Mark, and they're saying how you know how discouraged this person was when they were a camp counselor, and the counselees didn't get it, and how ministry is going to always include these moments. And this board member, I, who was an older guy who I was friends with, we walked out together. He says, "Why is it these people always preach these texts and identify with Jesus?" <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the disciples, right? Like, like it, it's funny because I think the problem with these texts is, it, it, like, we often are look at ourselves, we look at them from this kind of perspective of superiority, mm-hmm. like how stupid they are mm-hmm. and how could they think this? But that's not the posture, right? Like, we should, we should. That's not what we should probably think when we right. read these texts, right? We should probably think, how are we like them? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. What are what is it that we actually want Jesus to do for us? Yeah, because the, the gospel is, you know, Jesus says, "I've come, you know, not for the not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous." Mm-hmm. You know, that the physician comes to heal the sick, and so the degree to which we see ourselves like the disciples, we, you know, we, we, then the gospel is good news, right? Yep. The degree to which we put ourselves in the position of superiority, we're almost like the, more like the critic, the religious critics of Jesus than the disciples. Mm-hmm. Richard Hayes has this, uh, you know, great book, Moral Vision of the New Testament, which is, you know, I mean, whether or not you agree with every, all of his conclusions, it's a fantastic book. And he says that Mark's vision of the moral life is profoundly ironic because God's revelation is characterized by hiddenness, reversal, and surprise. Those who follow Jesus find themselves repeatedly failing to understand the will of God. If God's disclosure takes the form of riddle and enigma, there can be no place for smugness or dogmatism in ethical matters. If our sensibilities are formed by this narrative, we will learn not to take ourselves too seriously. We will be self-critical and receptive to unexpected manifestations of God's love and power. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's we're kind of, you know, it's interesting because he here we have this great also prediction that of the vicarious suffering. When people say, "Oh, there's no atonement in the gospels." I'm like, "Really? Are you are are you kidding?" Like <laughs> But here, the cross isn't just the object, the objective means of redemption. It's it's the cross is also the subjective appropriation of it in the spirit. Right? It's like it's like mm. redemption accomplished and applied. So, the way of the cross, like you know, Luther's Heidelberg Disputation, you know, the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. The theology of the cross is 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 what sustains us in the Christian life. Right? The, it's not just the work of the cross, but it's the way of the cross that keeps us open to being continually beggars needing bread mm-hmm. and not thinking we've got it figured out. So w- w- any like concluding thoughts on preaching these texts other than we we've covered uh we've covered uh priesthood and 
and and the mysteries of creation and 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 don't identify with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's really hard to hard to top that. I think. <laughs> like like it's a good sermon if people come away from preaching and they see themselves like the disciples. Yep. Yep. And the good news of that is is that the gospel is for people exactly like Hayes says that are continually open to their weakness because that's where God's power is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Ben for coming on the podcast, and thanks again to you for listening to Synaxis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.